Welcome to Next in Nonprofits. I'm Steve Boland, and I am very pleased to be joined today by Angel Diaz, the Vice President of Developer Technology and Advocacy at IBM. Angel, thanks so much for taking the time. Thank you. Appreciate it. I was excited to get a little bit of your time to talk about um, Call for Code, and I had not heard about it until just recently, but the year has kicked off. But before we do that, can we just uh, ask you to talk a little bit about um, your role in developer technology for IBM? What do you do with most of your time, or is is uh, Call for Code taking up a lot of your time now? Well, look, I, I spend my days and nights at the cross-section of technology, some of the latest stuff that we're building uh, in the tech industry and people, people who use it, whether it's our clients, our partners, and the entire world, and hence, you know, call for code. So that's kind of, that's always been my passion since I joined IBM and joined IBM Research, and, and, and here we are kind of, you know, doing it now. It's a great opportunity. So, I, of course, most people listening um, will be familiar with IBM. They'll understand, you know, your mission as an organization there. Um, so let's talk a little bit more about what is call for code and how did it come to be? Yeah, you know, it, it, first of all, if you just step back for a moment, you, you think about uh, all of the issues that we as society uh, struggle with. You know, one of the most pressing ones, and certainly one that impacts all of us, is disasters. Um, and how do we as a society better prepare and, uh, frankly, recover from disasters? And that that's the seed that that then became this 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 general idea of you know what, if you think about it, if you know. We could do better. We can do better as a society in terms of leveraging technology for good. Uh, and so then what we ended up doing was saying, look, if there's 22 million developers, people who build software, right, you know, technology that we consume, if there's 22 million of those. What if we can inspire them to actually use their powers, right, for good? And in this case, preparing for natural disasters. So that's how Call for Code was born. Now, what it is, it's a partnership between uh, the United Nations Human Rights, uh, the Red Cross, um, a venture capital firm uh, called NEA, uh, a, a developer ecosystem called the Linux Foundation, of course, IBM, and literally at this point over 80 other organizations, universities, you know, et cetera. Uh, and the whole point of this was to, to build a program, an initiative, and, and a contest, okay, a contest that would inspire developers to kind of think about how they can write code to, to help us all better prepare for disasters. And that's what Call for Code is. So all these folks come together looking for new ideas. You didn't say, this is the one way we want to solve this problem. Please go out and write some code that, that accomplishes these mission objectives. But as I understand it, Call for Code is more about what creative situations or ideas you could bring, given what people go through in a natural disaster situation. Is that a fair way to characterize that? Uh, absolutely. You know, when we, we launched uh, Call for Code on uh, May 24th. Okay, and we kind of threw the call out there. You know, that's why we we ended up calling it a call for code. Like it's like a call to all developers for code, uh, and we just closed out the first year of a five year program. Uh, literally uh, uh, a couple of weeks ago now, uh, October uh, uh, 29th in San Francisco at, at our award ceremony. What we did is we worked with uh, uh, with our partners, our NGOs, United Nations, and Red Cross, and we kind of looked at six areas, disaster areas, uh, hurricanes and typhoons, earthquakes, tsunamis, floods, storm surges, volcanoes, extreme weather and wildfires. And we, we kind of brought together technologists and folks who really understand what it means to live through a disaster, 
uh, prepare for disaster, recover from a disaster, respond to a disaster, and providing guidance to developers in terms of what it is they can build. So think of that as the art of the possible. Then on the other hand, outside of that equation, we empower developers with IBM technology and an ability to create solutions in literally minutes, okay? So a developer can go from understanding what the problem is and then getting a prototype of something that might address that problem, at least an initial prototype in minutes, and then build around that and create something special. And, and then literally from the moment we launched uh, to now, we've had uh, over 100,000 developers across 156 nations participate in Call for Code. So you've had to award somebody uh, kind of, this is a fantastic idea. Not that there weren't Aren't other really good ones? Um, can you talk a little bit about the the process of deciding um, how do you surface you know one of these or ideas as this year's winner? How do you recognize some of the runners up for the good work that they're doing and keep alive and propagating and and growing as well? Yeah, yeah, that, that's that's a great question because if you step back and we look at kind of the numbers, you know, we've had more than two thousand five hundred really solid applications that that we had to that really were really worthy of consideration across uh, technologies that span cloud, artificial intelligence, uh, data, transactions, blockchain, et cetera. Uh, so the question is, how do you do that? Well, you know, we had a, a series of judging. You know, if you think about it, uh, you know, developers, all of us are inspired by our peers, uh, leaders in our peers. So we had eminent judges who participated in Call for Code from technology domains, as well as kind of other domains uh, we had for example, uh, uh, the head of the United Nations Human Rights as a judge. We had uh, the lead developer and researcher for Twitter as a judge. We even we even managed to get uh, Bill Clinton, President Bill Clinton, uh, as a judge as well. So, so it, you know, it was an amazing cast of judges. And the way we did this is we kind of you know went from those two thousand five hundred down to to a hundred, down to thirty, down to ten, and then down to the the la the top three, which we then announced. Uh, the, the, the winners uh, at the Call for Code Global Prize celebration we had on October 29th in San Francisco. So let's give people a sense of the vast universe of human need, which is, you know, conversation here on Next in Nonprofits, because this is uh, serving and, and figuring out how to improve lives is what charities are all about is about um, but eventually one of them has to start getting implemented start going somewhere can you just talk a little bit about what project owl is which is the the inaugural year winner um, and how their ideas and technology can really these situations yeah and, and, and you know what you brought up a real good point which is putting the technology into production <clears throat> because when you step back and you think about you know, often people think about the, the notion of a hackathon, a hackathon being a moment in time where developers get together and build something. This is the world's largest and longest hackathon for good, right? Mm -hmm. And But one of the big differences here uh, of this is that, in fact, the top uh, winners will be put into production for real in partnership with NGOs and local government agencies, et cetera, uh, which is amazing. And so the winner, Project Owl, was a team uh, from New York and North Carolina, and it was a two-part solution. So there was a hardware and software component, uh, and, and, and it solves you know, a, a problem that we all have. And, and that is a problem that when a disaster hits, usually communications are impacted. 
right? Not, uh, not just from, from individuals who are suffering, but also communications between those individuals and people who need to respond to those individuals. Uh, I grew up in Puerto Rico, okay? My family actually live in Puerto Rico and we went through Hurricane Maria, all right? And I can tell you, it was quite disconcerting to me uh, as well as my family, uh, not being able to communicate. And it was very difficult uh, for first responders to provide uh, you know, what was needed to who needed it the most, right? Because it was hard to kind of understand what was happening. So that's what Project Out tries to address. Uh, they actually have a offline communication infrastructure that you can deploy ad hoc uh, during or post uh, an event that allows people to take their phones and join a network. And then that network is uh, connected to uh, the external world as well as uh, first responders. And it kind of bridges the gap of real-time information that people who are, being, uh, who are being struck by a disaster and the people that can actually help and support them. The way they accomplish this is by uh, kind of deploying uh, physical little hubs. They call them cluster ducks, okay? So you can think of these little, uh, these little you know, rubber things. It could be you know, anything that you kind of then deploy and it creates a virtual ad hoc network, a mesh network at a really low cost, okay? Uh, and, and, and then of course, there's a whole software platform uh, that leverages uh, a lot of our IBM technology that allows you then to allow those communications to happen and do kind of real-time analytics and 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 so forth uh, uh, with what's happening uh, to better uh, respond to, to 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 and recover right from the disaster. So we'll have that linked in the show notes because there's a, a great little short video that um, shows the ducks as they were. They uh, look to to my old-fashioned gamer like a 20-sided dike on steroids. It's this you know um, <laughs> little handheld thing that's um, kind of uh, dodecahedron-esque uh, shape. But um, but as I was reading about that, and again we'll we'll have this linked in the show notes for people to read about it themselves. Um, they the ability to have just a, a few of these, as few as five of them in a square mile that creates a network that a mobile phone can connect to. Um, it's not the same thing as having the cell network back up and running, but it is a way to get communications going when cell networks are down, electricity is down, all exactly. those things don't work. So it's a really clever solution, but now you've got to figure out how are you going to deploy the ducks in those clusters around um, when the time comes, what does that next phase of the process look like? Yeah, that's exactly what we're doing. So there's a couple of things. Uh, so first of all, uh, the IBM server, uh, corporate service uh, part of the company, this is a part of the company that actually works with uh, and, and, ha and, and takes IBMers time and, 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 and so forth and deploys them into areas where we can do good. The corporate services part of IBM will be teaming up with OWL and we, we will be deploying this into areas that are currently affected or expected to be affected. So that's number one. Uh, the second is kind of the point you were making, which is, you know, this software needs to continue, right? It's, it, it's, it's um, you, know, we, you know, as developers, we love to work together in communities. So, so one thing that we're doing is the top, in fact, uh, 10 projects will be coming what we call open source projects within the Linux Foundation. What does that mean? Well, open source is the way that developers today like to collaborate. Think of it as uh, a place where you can exchange ideas, but also exchange code in, in, in a fashion that allows you to build upon each other's innovations, okay? So think about all the good that's gonna happen when we have Project OWL and the other winners open sourced so that literally tens of thousands of developers across the world can contribute and add more to that. 
And of course, the winning team, which is Project Al, has an opportunity to pitch the idea to our venture capital firm partner, uh, NEA, uh, uh, and see if perhaps they might even create a, a business around it. So, so it's 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 really exciting, and, and we're kind of covering you know all of the all of the different different areas here. And and um, so I challenge uh, anybody out there who 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 who's interested in 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 uh, you know uh, charities is to think about how technology can make their particular initiative better. Right, and initiatives like Call for Code is a great one for anybody to join and be a part of, uh, and also a great one to kind of maybe model how we can do better in society in terms of leveraging technology for good. Well, one of the things that was very exciting to me about this idea and project when I heard about it was I think many of the charities that I work with certainly are not particularly technology savvy. Um, they don't know um, what they don't know. So there, there's not really a way for them to think about, um, I want to create this kind of open source uh, software solution to my problem, but they know the problem. Uh, and they can very well talk about when a disaster hits and we're the folks on the ground, you know, the, the Red Cross-esque types of things that are distributing blankets and, and clean water. Um, we know these problems exist in those worlds. So being able to share your specific story of we have this problem that we're not really sure how to fix um, and talk about that with uh, folks that are very creative on the technology side that may not understand the problem really well, but they are get really innovative solutions. we got to get those two sides merged to really kind of get them talking um, early and often about new ways of solving problems that people on the ground experience when these things happen. So with this one kicking off and and a first round sort of uh, envisioned, uh, is there a time frame for what it might look like in 2019 or, or how often calls might be put together? Yeah, you know, you, you hit the nail on the head there first, which is it is the partnership between multidisciplinary folks, right? People who understand technology, people who understand disaster uh, recovery, or people understand a particular charity. It's that partnership that allows the best things to be created. In fact, you'll, you'll see that exemplified in the best submissions and call for code. Um, and, and, and that's really kind of what, what, what makes the magic happen. Um, you know, Call for Code is a, as I said, is a five-year initiative that we announced. In fact, IBM ourselves are putting in $30 million, not including all the other resources that other organizations are putting into it as well. Um, and there's opportunity for folks to, to engage in, uh, into the next year as well. Uh, so if, you know, folks are interested in learning more or participating or, or trying to kind of, you know, understand how we can really bring together Folks who understand the charity or, or the or the the area of their choice in technology, just go to callforcode.org, uh, and that's where we have all of the information on on what's coming up next uh, next year, the, uh, the timelines and all that kind of stuff, and then uh, and then we'd be happy to to partner up. But 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 you're absolutely right. It is it is being proactive. It is bringing together technologists who are empowered and fueled. Right to to really change the world. I mean, as a quick side point, we we ran call for code days within IBM. You know, IBM's a four hundred thousand person company. Right, we have tons and tons of software developers. Right, uh, we had upwards of five thousand uh, IBMers participate in a couple of days hack where they just took time off from work to, to build great solutions. And and uh, we actually took the winners of the IBM contest because you know we didn't allow ourselves to participate on the global challenge. That you know because it was a challenge. But we took the IBM winners and we also tried to put those into deployment. And we, we were just in North Carolina uh, because you know we recently suffered some, some, some hurricanes there, yeah. matching the technology that the IBMers built with 
the, the nonprofits who were there and needed help and having that cross-disciplinary dialogue, right? So, so lots of opportunity, lots of opportunity. Well, I think it's sometimes um, challenging with the with the charities that I work with to um, help them not sort of predefine an outcome when they're discussing a problem because the we we get good at a certain thing that we know how to do. Um, and if you talk about the problem of there's no communications in some of these situations where not only is electricity out, um, but the cell towers are you know gone, knocked out as well. So you you maybe still have battery charge on that phone of yours, but there's no connection to it to anything. The typical nonprofit solution to that might be, how are we going to, you know, get runners in there with boats and trucks or something like that? You know, how are we going to physically create a, a, a means of communication to break that barrier rather than the phone still works? Uh, you know, it's, that thing has still got some capacity into it. How do we make it useful in a world where there isn't a cell tower that's functioning? There's no Wi-Fi next to it. And I think that getting people to, to have a conversation about what's the end goal you want, which is restored communication, rather than what's the tactic that you're familiar with, which is, well, I'll, I'll get on a boat and I'll cross the river. Or I'll get in a truck and I'll drive through downed trees or whatever. That there's got to be a different way of envisioning the solution. So uh, as you work with charitable partners that see the need for communication, for example, or distribution logistics or whatever, how do you ask them to come in to call for code? I mean, when you, when you register, do you need to be a developer or can you register as a, a, a nonprofit organization that just understands some on the ground challenges? Yeah, you know, that's, that's, that's perfect. Yeah. There's, so there's, there's basically two ways. You don't have to be a developer to be a participant in call for code for sure. And as I said before, the best teams were multidisciplinary. So if you're an individual, or you have a group of individuals and you want to participate and even try to join a team. There's a lot of team matching that, that goes on. We we provide a way for these developers to do team matching. In callforcode.org, you can register and you can and you can join the team. Now, if you're an organization, you can actually become a call for code supporter or affiliate member. And what that means is that it's uh, that's very simple. One, you commit to promote call for code within your ecosystem so that folks hear about it and participate. But at the same time, you have the opportunity to provide guidance, guidance to those developers and help shape what they actually build. And that is hugely valuable for Call for Code, right? Because where we started, right? It is the charity, it is the nonprofit, it is the folks who are, who are living the situation, understand how software can make a difference or better yet understands the outcomes. I mean, another great example, kind of because you brought this example around connectivity, but you know, examples span, you know, such a large surface area. Another great example is think about earthquakes, okay? Um, you know, literally, it, 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 it will cost someone thousands of dollars to do an analysis of their house to understand how to better structurally improve it for earthquakes. And this is a really big deal, you know, when you, when you get to areas that perhaps don't have that much money, like let's say Nepal, okay? And uh, uh, one of the team, uh, one of the submissions we have a call for code was the ability to use a simple camera and artificial intelligence to automatically uh, understand and survey and analyze and use something called deep learning to recommend what kind of structural improvements anybody can do to their house to make it more earthquake ready. I mean, just think about that, right? That's a huge, huge, huge advantage. Or wildfires. Uh, one of the teams that, uh, that uh, were in the finalists was called Project Lally from the San Francisco Bay Area. You know, one of the biggest issues you have on wildfires is predicting the spread of wildfires. So you can better preposition folks or evacuate folks. 
They came out with a solution, a very low cost solution for how you can better predict where wildfires will be headed to next, right? So lots of opportunities across so many domains. So when the idea of call for code came up, as you pointed out, there's lots of opportunities beyond, you know, um, disasters that impact people. But uh, I imagine if you just said, you know, how do we help humanity? That's a pretty broad brush. So uh, how how did the focus decide to come down to uh, making sure that submissions somehow fit into the solving the problems that come up in regards to disaster? Yeah. Yeah. So we didn't, you know, we didn't pre, uh, pre-define, you know, anything, right? We, we allowed people to obviously think about uh, any solution, but we did provide guidance across six, as I mentioned earlier, six areas of disaster and, and teamed with experts in the field, whether they're at universities or they're at whether are there nonprofits or charities, et cetera, that knew about those things, right? And we provided a lot of guidance or, or suggestions or uh, kind of use cases of how technology could make a difference to give people a spark of thought. Then we paired that with code uh, based on IBM technology that allows them to kind of solve for that use case very quickly, literally the click of a button. So then they can focus their time on building around that, okay? Uh, and, and so that's how we accelerated essentially the innovation process, right? We, we kind of started to very systematically uh, pair up uh, folks who understand areas with code that can help developers get started quickly. So when we would run a hack, in other words, a two-day event or a one-day event at a university or at a or at a you know at a at one of our clients or at a meetup or in a development community, literally people can come out of there out of a day of of, of coding with a viable uh, solution. We call it a minimal viable product, right? A, a viable solution that that actually can can make a difference and you know i've always said to to folks uh you know uh, anybody i can talk to about call for code that at the end of the day when we put these things into production right and we build communities around this open source if we save one life a hundred lives maybe a thousand lives then mm -hmm. all of this has made a difference right and, and that's what we're excited about the most so how do you communicate that impact now that um, you've, you've had first round um, already happen? There's a, a commitment to go longer. Um, getting that solution sort of outside the technology sphere and impacting decision making with public officials, with you know folks on the ground, all those kinds of things is a constant challenge for most charities uh, that when they develop a good idea of solving a problem, getting a little bit more buy-in, getting a little bit more publicity around using it, um, it, it takes a little bit of a ramp up to get to those things. Uh, as IBM and its partners think about um, taking the idea of OWL and it and the runners up and whatnot and moving it into the world, how do you help gain some traction if people maybe have a little bit of bias of, well, it's a software solution, but I'm dealing with this, you know, natural disaster problem. So that's not the thing and they don't pay attention. Or is that not a problem? Are people just glomming right away? Yeah. You know, that that's what the IBM Service Corps does for a living, and, and that's the good news, right? That, that, that's what makes this kind of, this thing work in reality in the sense that, uh, you know, we do this in IBM literally through the Service Corps all the time. And now we are focusing and getting that, getting Service Corps to help out uh, in, in the context of Project OWL. Uh, and, you know, we have found, uh, you know, great traction when you can sit down and have a conversation with, uh, you know, a government agency or an NGO and say, look, you know, this particular solution can make a difference. You know, how can we partner in this? Uh, we'll make it available for free on our cloud. We'll do all the work to get it going. 
how can we tie this into your processes um, and then and then all of a sudden the dialogue flourishes and becomes becomes an, becomes an amazing uh, an amazing thing and and that's the plan that's the recipe that we're, we're going to do for, for for these particular solutions uh, and others in the years to come well, that's exciting to hear. And I, I think just as we were talking about the people that are participating in the call don't all have to be developers, then the work of getting those good new solutions into uh, deployment in the world don't all have to be developers either. They can be your your uh, folks that you just mentioned that are a little bit more into um, talking to the communities about use and how they can bring these things in. Because uh, it, it's it, when I see just the one solution about the uh, the ducks, for example, I do love technology. Most people that I work with are um, you know are users of it, but not as much just engaged by. It. But I'm like immediately you know, how long does the battery last in that thing? How do you recollect them when the disaster is over? How do you, you know, all these things run through my head that I think other people may be going, well, if, if this call is going to be successful and we're going to really use this, there's a lot of secondary things that have to happen once that first idea is kind of taken to that minimal viable product stage. Um, and you mentioned the idea that perhaps um, some investment capital might be the way that we start getting to some of those uh, next stage questions is that there, there might be a way to bring other partners in if there's some additional development money on the table. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the uh, the winner of Call for Code obviously has an opportunity to pitch to a you know one of the world's largest venture capital firms, right? Uh, NEA, uh, and then of course there's you know uh, organizations that have signed up to support this, right? That span you know other corporations uh, to to uh, universities to uh, you know startup communities to you know other other nonprofits. So I mean the eco and, and that's a really good point because the, the one of the really nice things about call for code that was a design point but 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 really kind of happened uh, which was which is kind of ecosystem effect right uh, and you can't do this alone you know, it's just IBM can't just do this alone you, you need to do it in partnership with uh, the United Nations with all of these other folks who who kind of are a part of this uh, to, to really to really have an impact I mean. <laughs> Just to throw this in there, you know, there was a moment uh, in Call for Code where we had 40 celebrities tweeting, Instagramming, Facebooking their support for Call for Code. You know, folks like Ellen DeGeneres or Justin Bieber or Kesha. These are all kind of mainstream celebrities and you pick the one that you like. It doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. But the point is, is that they were out talking about it. Now, why is that important? Because it's awareness. How, how do you how does the developer know that this thing even exists? Right. Well, developers are people like all of us, and some of us like you know Shajan, who's an artist from Puerto Rico, or some of us like uh, Ellen DeGeneres. It doesn't matter, right? It and uh, so if you happen to be following celebrities, you get to hear about it, and it's that whole ecosystem that uh, that allowed us to attract so many folks, and then then allow us to then deploy, right, and, and, and do good. Are are there criteria set up for the first one um, ahead of the judging that uh, you know kind of helps gate? Because uh, you know when you talk about everything that impacts in a natural disaster, that um, the range of nonprofit organizations, NGOs that are engaged, um, it is that life saving thing, but it's also the quality of life stuff on the edges. It's you know the 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 pet rescue stuff that really gets attention in the media, where people are like you know yes, of course we are more concerned about the the humans that are at risk, but you know their companion animals also have challenges in times like this and you know do you just have to weigh no we want life saving 
improving technology or is it do we talk about things that um, have a broader impact on all the survivability post disaster and all those things uh, because there's just so much that could be there uh, how do you, is there weight in a criteria right now or does that get evolved for each call no we had we had uh, we had some really well defined criteria i mean at a high level the first one was uh, what we called completeness and transferability, right? So how fully has the idea been implemented? Because at the end of the day, we want to put this into production. And then how easily can it have impact in the field, right? Because the, the idea and the code and the software and everything needs to, needs to really, you know, our, our goal here is to make a difference, right? And to save lives and, 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 and to make a difference in, in preparing and recovering, right, from disaster. So that the completeness and transferability was one. The, the, uh, the second was, um, you know, what we called effectiveness and efficiency. So, how, you know, does it address a high priority area? Does it have the scale, right, to your point of, of, of touching, you know, potentially touching many types of things? Um, you know, and how and how effectively does it reach that that goal, right? So that was really really important as well. So the you know the broad applicability, of course, design and usability is huge, right? You you know, uh, whatever it is that you put out there needs to be you know from a computer science perspective, uh, usable uh, from a human perspective, but from a computer science perspective, designed in a way that it can actually be deployed and put to use. And then of course there was a dimension around creativity and innovation, okay. How creative, how innovative, you know, how how different is it, and and then how and 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 how and how uh, well does it address uh, a particular space? So th those were the the major dimensions that that things uh, were judged on. Uh, you know, there's a lot of detail behind that, but but uh, you know, and 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 participants knew that up front as well, right? Um, and, and that kind of helped guide their thinking. And do you anticipate that those same criteria being in place as subsequent calls get um, issued? Absolutely. Yeah, it worked out real well. It worked okay. out real well. So um, as you're talking to the nonprofit organizations out there that are not just serving um, on the ground in kind of disaster preparation and mitigation, but also the recovery um, part of the world, I assume that that is addressed in here in some way or is uh, because, I mean, often these recoveries, unfortunately, can go for very long periods of time where where the impacts can uh, take a good long while to get dealt with. Are, are, are those kinds of technologies envisioned as a part of the call or is it really a little bit more focused on the immediacy of the disaster itself? No, it's both. Uh, we, we, we focused on preparing and recovering. And that's a really good point. I'm going back to the example around Hurricane Maria, right? I mean, just just uh, the other day, my father texted me and uh, power was lost again, right? So oh, I mean, the, the recovery <laughs> takes time. Uh, in the case in the case of Maria or a lot of these you know, major disasters, uh, you know, people literally, uh, you know, it takes six, 12 months to, to, to get to any sense of normalcy, right? Uh, so we've got ideas that that span the whole gamut. I think one of the really cool ideas talking about recovery, right? And, and this is probably recovery within the first month or so, uh, was an idea from a hack that we actually ran in Puerto Rico. So we went to Puerto Rico and we ran a hack there in a city called Bayamón at a startup uh, incubator there. We ran it about two two months ago or so, and uh, there was about uh, two to three hundred uh, you know software developers from Puerto Rico there participating. And one of the solutions was called drone aid, okay. And the idea came from from a uh, from a problem that that uh, a, a developer named Pedro Cruz and his team had. If you think about it, Pedro lived about uh, under half a mile from his grandmother. Okay, he could not 
obviously couldn't call her, couldn't communicate with her, and he couldn't he couldn't physically get to her because there was water and flooding, and there was no way for him to get from where he was to where she was. So he would send his drone over, which had a little camera, just to see how she was doing to make sure she was okay, right? He kind of, <laughs> so he kind of stepped that. back. Well, I mean, that was during, you know, that's what he, he said, well, look, how can I generalize on this idea, right? Because at the end of the day, what you also started to see in Puerto Rico happen is that people were using chalk on the streets, right? And, and writing in Spanish, you know, SOS, need help, five people, you know, no food, or, you know, this person's seriously injured or whatever, right? In hopes that people will be flying over and can read the street, right? So what he did is he combined those two ideas. He said, look, if we, if, if we can hand out a, essentially a set of symbols that, you know, icons that people can put on the street, right? And fill in, you know, number of people, severity of injury, type of supply needed, whatever, right? It was, like, it was like a visual language. And if we can program drones to fly around and automatically read those, okay? And then feed that information to operations and recovery people, right? Then those people can better prioritize the, you know, where to go first and what kind of supplies to bring to those people. Yeah, pretty genius idea. And, and actually not a hard one to implement, right? Um, and, and, and makes a huge difference. So, so, so that's an example of in the recovery space, right? But, but just a really great and very real born from, you know, a real experience that, that somebody had. So if you are talking directly to uh, nonprofit organizations, NGOs across the world uh, to help them understand a little bit more about what happened with the first call, um, how do you recommend if they're not feeling particularly uh, savvy about this stuff or they're just going to go register on the website to, to get more engaged with um, bringing their understanding of the problem to the table? Are there ways other than registering, uh, social media activism, anything along those lines that helps? Yep kind of get the idea out yeah well it, it, that, that's 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 a really good point that's the second way that folks can get engaged you know obviously the first way is you know organizations or individuals can actually participate in the call and 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 run call for code hacks themselves they can join teams etc and there's a whole we have a what we call digital kits that you can download that allow you to kind of essentially stand all this stuff up and run stuff but you can also become a what we call a supporter and when you fill out that form we actually reach out to you okay and we have a conversation about, you know, what it is that you do, uh, how can we help you, and, and, then, and then also how can you amplify and spread the word, because this goes back to the point of spreading the word. Uh, and frankly, how do you lend your expertise, and how do we make that expertise available to developers? So we ran a whole series of what we call tech talks, you know, uh, and domain talks, where we would host uh, charities and others to, to talk about their area to talk about you know their area of expertise and how and, and how software may have a difference and, and almost almost kind of empower like a QA amongst developers across the entire world right and folks who understand domain so that's that's a real concrete way that we would love more and more charities to get involved in and there's a form there that you fill out and we'll reach out to you if, if you if you want to kind of go that deep with us and we would love that because again, it goes down to the marrying of folks who really understand the particular area and, 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 and the developers who, who are inspired to, to use their, their powers to help.
So I, you know, a, a while back, IBM really um, made a pretty intentional transition towards uh, the the services company rather than the hardware manufacturer that its original roots were. Uh, do people understand that when you talk about this call thing that it's not about you know you're trying to sell a laptop to somebody that that's not what IBM is anymore? Uh, yeah, I think I think people uh, understand IBM. I mean, you know, we've uh, IBM is a company that. Uh, it's been over, uh, has been innovating and changing the world for over 100 years, right? Uh, if you think about it, uh, IBM used to make typewriters. Uh, we used to sell meat trucks, <laughs> okay, um, back back a while ago. Mm -hmm. uh, and and uh, and you know, but but we've had a constant, and the constant is 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 utilizing you know innovation to to uh, better the world and better our clients, um, and uh, and and that and I think that's kind of. Uh, is a way of, of life for us. And certainly I think most folks understand, understand that when it comes to some of the latest technology, cloud, data, artificial intelligence, et cetera, uh, that IBM's uh, leading the way there as well. And, and, it, and, it's, and it can certainly help you leverage uh, you know, software, hardware, whatever is you need, right, to, uh, to, to do that. Well, the expertise in services, I think, has been there for decades, but the um, some of us, of course, still remember, you know, uh, owning consumer branded, you know, uh, machines, as you point out, typewriters all the way up to personal computers and ThinkPads and all the rest as, as yeah. sort of a first introduction to what IBM is. And if you're not into enterprise level conversations like this, uh, it may be that you really just don't understand um, the, the level of uh, experience and complexity that IBM as a partner can bring into this conversation, because it's not just we throw out the idea for somebody else to do, but as you mentioned, you've got your own internal teams that um, understand all this stuff that contribute to it. And it seems like there's a, a lot there that uh, if you don't follow, um, you know, Fortune 500 companies and, and enterprise level stuff because you're a small on the ground, you know, organization, um, getting a, a sense of the relationship with the sponsors and the partners of this work that, um, you know, they, they have a lot to contribute here in understanding how to solve large-scale problems, even if that means the implementation of that particular solving a problem is going to be just within this very small affected community this time around. And, and that is an important shift, I think, for charities to keep in mind that just because it is IBM at this very large scale doesn't mean that they can't understand and work with problems that impact um, communities very localized in this case. Yeah, absolutely. So we are just about uh, out of time for the recording. I want to make sure that if there are other thoughts about kind of where the future of the call for code is going or other things that you would love um, NGOs to understand about this work, uh, anything that we haven't had a chance to cover yet. Look, I mean, all I really want to do is first of all, say thank you to everybody for, for listening. Um, and, and, and hopefully you, you share the passion that we all do around how technology can make a difference. And, and, and all I ask is that if, if you think that uh, you, know, you can help make a difference, whether it's spreading the world word or getting involved or becoming a supporter, we'd love to have you. We'd love to have a dialogue. And, and just please come to uh, callforcode.org and, uh, and, and we'd love to have you be a part of this because uh, we need all the help we can get. Um, and, uh, and last year was, uh, this past year was, was a great year. I mean, 100,000 developers engaged 156 nations that's that's a lot uh, but this this coming year looks to be even more uh, so so the more that we can do to help guide developers help developers understand uh, you know how they can make a difference then then the better we will all be 
One more quick question about the logistics moving forward with the call. Is there going to be like a, uh, a sort of application deadline, as it were, to get teams set up to start understanding things to move forward? Or is that more of a rolling basis? Yep. Uh, we haven't set the dates yet for the start and end of the contest. Okay. Um, um, you know, last year it was uh, May 24th. Uh, the, dead, the deadline for code was the 28th of September. And then the awards were awarded on October 29th. Uh, this uh, this coming year might shift a little bit the the timeline, uh, but but we do expect to have an announcement uh, soon about about uh, you know the timeline and all of that for for the next year. But that doesn't mean you can't get engaged now, and it doesn't mean that you can't reach out to be a supporter right now. Yep. Go get registered now. You'll stay in the loop as uh, timelines are announced, as new things happen. There's also social links at uh, callforcode.org. You can take a look on how to keep in touch that way. So lots of ways to stay involved in bringing your ideas and expertise to getting these problems solved. Uh, but I uh, do want to uh, just take a moment right now to thank you. Uh, Angel Diaz is the VP uh, Developer Technology and Advocacy at IBM. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much. And thanks, everybody. 